Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 162. This week we talk with James Clark about fluent design, 27,000 errors in the Tizen operating system, and the insane list of top-level domains. Raygun gives you complete visibility on errors, crashes, and performance problems affecting your end users. Replicate issues in seconds rather than digging through log files or having to rely on users to report errors or crashes. Raygun gives you a window into how users are really experiencing your software applications. Check it out today at raygun.com. This episode of the MS Dev Show is brought to you by Aspose, the market leader of .NET and Java APIs for file business formats. Natively work with DocX, XSLX, PPT, PDF, MSG, MPP, image formats, and many more. This week we have James Clark. He's a lead program manager on the Windows UI platform team where he works on the effects and animation engine that powers Microsoft's new Fluent Design System. James holds a Master of Science degree in Computer and Telecommunications Engineering from Surrey University in the UK. And your, I noticed that your bio is completely different than last time. Uh, last time it said uh, it said that you were a wannabe boosted board owner. <laughs> so we have to update that. So what's what's the current status there? Well, the current status there is, um, I think we chatted about this last time I was on the show, and you you very kindly offered to let me try yours out, and so yep. uh, we we indeed did this last week. Mm-hmm. And um, the experience was so fun that I ordered one and it actually showed up yesterday. So I'm now not a wannabe <laughs> owner, but I'm an actual owner. So Yeah. How, how long did it take to wipe that smile off your face? Because <laughs> then well, my credit card bill like, certainly. Uh... <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, when you had to pay the bill. <laughs> yeah, that's the downside. I, I, I didn't even think to mention this. I'll mention this now and hopefully this doesn't make you cry. I don't know if you saw that there's a there's a there's a company that I, I think this is this is a little scummy but they basically took the booster board like ripped it off and they made a version that's like half the price that's it's it's like 90 percent as good um i still think you made the right choice though because um i don't know i hit the limits of mine and if mine was 10 percent worse i i would be very unhappy so well, i still yeah, think you I, made the right choice I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of casey neistat and i watched that comparison review of yeah sort of slightly less good one and and i just thought yeah okay great i'm you know these people were the pioneers <laughs> i'm going with the pioneers you know yeah i mean it was just a blatant ripoff of of the hardware so yeah um, it's good to it's good to encourage the you know like the, the, yeah the pioneers that they're actually doing like the r&d and, and really know what they're doing yeah and the, and the quality is amazing like it's it's really, yeah. you know the deck is is like bamboo and it's it's yeah. very impressed very solid solid yeah the thing is it's like you know not to go on like a tangent but the thing is what the, the board i think actually sits like four inches off the ground or maybe maybe even, yeah something like four inches you can push your foot and i don't know if you've done this but push your foot in the middle and you can put you can touch it to the ground wow. that board will bend that much um it's it's pretty wild how strong that uh, that bamboo is so now our next challenge is to get together and, and ride somewhere once once you get a little bit faster that way i don't have to spin you know go in circles around you yeah <laughs> couple weeks though man it took me it was like three days and i was going you know 15 20 miles an hour so yeah i'm still on the kind of beginner setting and i'm sort of standing there shaking away going you know <laughs> please don't fall off but it's, yeah it's well fun Stage two is that your legs are going to be in a lot of pain and then eventually, cause you're, you know, your muscles get like, so seized up, but then, uh, it'll, it'll get easier. Yeah. So anyway, let's jump into the comment of the week, Carl. This comment we pulled off of iTunes. It was from Doug Mayer and he says, I've been listening to your podcast from the beginning. Continue listening because I enjoy getting information straight from the source. Thanks again, Doug. Awesome. And, uh, yeah, that's one of the things we try to do. We try to get the people that uh, either create it or work directly with it at such a level that they know it as well as the creators. And that's one of the things that we strive to do on the show. So thank you for noticing. Thank you for listening. And thank you for the five-star iTunes review. And if you want to get mentioned on the show like Doug, send us an email to feedback at msdevshow.com. Comment on Facebook, YouTube, or Stitcher. We especially love five-star iTunes reviews like Doug's. Mm-hmm. Definitely helps us out. Okay, let's jump in the news. Uh, 27,000 errors in the Tizen operating system. That doesn't sound like a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, th- this was done. They, they kind of did some static analysis, and you can kind of debate the merits uh, of that. But, you know, they kind of took some choice pieces of code, found a bunch of errors, and kind of extrapolated out through the rest what that would be. And, well, well I you know, that's kind of interesting of itself. You know, it's... 
I didn't really think it was too newsworthy until a few days later. There was another blog post by these same people, and they say, we continue exploring Tizen. There's some C-sharp components in there. And by like some, there's like, I think they found like 200 C-sharp projects. Mm-hmm. And they said those components are really high quality and have like, in comparison, a much, 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 much lower error rate, uh, according to the static analysis. So this is uh, deja vu, because, and I had to search for this article because I couldn't remember the number. So have you heard of this other article? So this was in two, the year 2000. In the year 2000, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Windows 2000 has over 65,000 bugs. Have you guys heard of that? That I, I, you, I remember did you live through that? that? Yeah, yeah. So it was it was 65,000. So it was this thing, you know, because it basically somebody got a hold of it, some internal memo, and it was basically from a bug tracking system. Um, you know, guess what? Bug tracking systems uh, keep track of a lot of these. So it sounds like this Tizen thing is different because like you mentioned, they actually looked at actual issues in the code uh, instead of like what was in their bug tracker. Is that correct? Exactly. They, yeah. From okay. the static analysis. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that certainly does make it a little bit more significant and worrying. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's good news that C Sharp is helping them out, though. I have to yeah, say. yeah. No, it's uh, yeah. the The .NET team is doing some really awesome stuff, and yeah. there's even more insanely awesome stuff to come. Uh, what logging levels really mean? What do they mean, Carl? Well, I know as a developer, sometimes you you have this logging tool, and you have you know the fatal error warn info and debug, and it's like you know what should I put this one as? Is it really an error? Is it a warn? But somebody just kind of like crossed off you know those levels and kind of put up what they really mean. So instead awful. of log instead of log dot fatal, it's wake me up at four a.m. on a Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's log dot, yeah, yeah, and for error, it's apologize to a user and raise a ticket. So, I mean, that makes sense. You know, if, if there's something that affects a user, you know, definitely, you know, that's an error. Yep. Uh, for Warren, it's make a note in case it happens again. Yep. So, you know, something happened, but not too big. Info, everything is fine and just checking in. Yep. And log.debug is fill my C drive with the stack traces. <laughs> <laughs> this is so good because I think, I believe that I have actually written a blog post on the same thing. And I've seen other articles talk about this. And when I saw it in here, I'm like, like, really, Carl? Really? We're doing this again? Uh, <laughs> but this is perfect because it's just this one picture and it's it's perfect. I'll just leave it at that. I like um, it. Yeah. List of internet top level domains. Yeah. So I, I, was, I was on a random Slack channel talking with somebody and they were wondering if like a certain TLD existed. Uh, so I found out on Wikipedia, they have a list of everything. When I have everything, I mean, there is way more than I even thought. I mean, I, I knew that there is, you know, all the country codes, which there's, you know, 200-ish of, um, and all the new branded ones, which there are a ton of, but there's like a lot of other ones that I didn't even think of. <laughs> dot cancer research. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> dot Catholic. Dot CEO. Yeah. And, and what's really interesting on some of these is like some of the notes that there are like dot pharmacy. It says to like even get it, you have to like prove that in the, the country where you're stationed that you have what it legally takes to run and distribute, you know, pharmaceuticals. Yeah. And I'm like, wow. There's dot duck. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> okay. What's the craziest one in here? I mean, there's some that are uh, for other dot, languages. Dot there's like a lot of uh, .xn dashes, and I yeah. don't really know what those for, but you know, th- those are a lot of times for other foreign um, uh, character sets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. .hiv. <laughs> oh, nice. That's, that's got to be super fun. <laughs> um, .kim. Oh, that's cool. We need a .json. Is there a .json in there? There's the dot socks. I think that's what you're looking for. <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> well, the, the one I'm interested in is dot ke. Um, is there dot, is there dot smartass? <laughs> <laughs> I'm interested in dot ke. My son sent me an email going, "Hey, Dad, the dot ke domain is about to come." And I'm like, "Dot ke? Why do I care about dot ke?" And he's like, "Because it's the last two letters of your name, and so you can kind of have, you know, you oh, essentially yeah. make your name by picking the last two letters and adding to it." So yeah. Anyway, yeah. And then some of the ones I wasn't a lot aware of, and some of the ones I weren't aware of, like there's a dot Microsoft, and, you know, dot Yahoo. So I mean, like just business names are taken up as TLDs. So what would you use dot Microsoft for? It would be like us dot Microsoft, <laughs> <laughs> store dot Microsoft. That'd yeah. be interesting. I don't know. I think dot uh, com is still still king, right? But I, I you know, it's I always still thought king. But yeah. there's there's certain you know 
nice ways to brand yourself with some of these other ones. Yep. Okay, I yeah. gotta stop looking at this. Oh yeah, there is the uh, .ke is Kenya. Yeah, it's apparently about to come out. So yeah. Okay, let's move on. We spent we dwelled on that one way too long. Um, Netduino is back. I didn't know it was gone. I didn't know it was gone either, but it's nice to know that it's back now. I mean, okay. uh, so I mean, for those who don't know, uh, Netduino was an Arduino uh, hardware that you could write .NET code on, and it understood it natively. So you could have same pinouts. You could use the same shields and stuff that an Arduino has, but you can write your .NET code uh, directly on that. And now. Um, now that it's back, it also comes with full Mac OS support. So if you have a Mac and you want to write .NET code that runs on this Netduino, you can do that too. So that's why I thought that made this extra awesome. And not only that, but it's also in stock. So a lot of times when stuff like this happens, uh, they sell out immediately of kits like this, but they're out on Amazon. Okay. That's really cool. I like it. Um, I already have too many IoT devices. Otherwise I'd get one. Yeah. Uh, what we've learned from .NET Core SDK telemetry. Uh, I thought this one was interesting because, you know, first and foremost, a lot of us f- as developers forget that telemetry is always being collected on us. I mean, even though we do that in our products for other people, we got to remember that the tools that we use are doing this too. But what's really cool is they've opened this back up and and shared some of the interesting things up. Which is and, now that, and now that .NET Core also runs on Ultimate, alternate platforms other than just Windows, you can see how people use it differently on uh, Mac OS X or on Linux. Uh, so I think like if you look like halfway down, there's some three side-by-side charts that show the top commands run in .NET Core. So you can see like in OS X, the top three are restore, build, and run. Yeah. On Linux, it's run, restore, build. And on Windows, it's build, test, and restore. That's interesting. I suppose the the test makes sense, right? Because you're pro- you're probably converting something and trying to run your tests. Um, build run. Okay, that's inter- That's yeah, that's super interesting. Yeah, and obviously this telemetry is super helpful for figuring out like you know what to focus on and um, bugs and things like that. So yeah, it's great to see. Ah, oh, so let's talk to James about Fluent Design because there was, uh, I guess you know this was this was rolled out at uh, at Build. And we just haven't had a, a chance to talk about it yet. So really glad you're able to come on here. Uh, so I guess we should start with what is Fluent Design? Yeah, that's a really good question. Well, you know, when we started to, to talk about this at Build, we, we really sort of set the context by talking about a couple of the shifts that, we, that we've been seeing, you know, out there that really motivated us to go think about Fluent. And really the two big trends were the first one was this notion of ubiquitous computing. And this is really where if you kind of look, look at the devices that we, we tend to use in our lives it's no longer just the one it's no longer just i've got my phone or i've got my laptop but it's really this notion of a kind of a constellation of devices mm-hmm. and really this sort of computing fades into the background and depending on what you're doing at any moment you you sort of grab the nearest device that that is most appropriate for the task at hand and the challenge with that world is is that you know the diversity of form factors is really exploding and you know obviously the mobile era you know, caused a great a great deal of, of innovation to occur. But we're now seeing kind of, you know, huge, huge screen devices. We're now seeing, you know, devices with all sorts of different input modalities. And, you know, obviously the big shift that, that's on the horizon is augmented reality, AR, VR, MR, those kind of star R kind of technologies where, mm-hmm. you know, we're really, you know, looking at a very, a very different paradigms for interaction and so ubiquitous computing is definitely something that you know microsoft takes very seriously you know across the entire company because it touches all of it and it's something satya talks about a lot and so that was definitely one big shift that that we wanted to kind of really consider when we look at how we want to evolve the software and the interfaces to to really match match that task and match user expectations the mm-hmm. the second big shift is really something that that we think of in terms of creativity and just that re, re the reigniting of creativity and 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 what we see is is that really you know the the, the young people of today are, are born creative like as they start to use their devices the things that they do with them is 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 really wanting to create mm-hmm. wanting to express themselves wanting to introduce emotion and and just the notion of how storytelling sort of weaves weaves into to more and more of what we do and and so on and so we you know really as we took a step back we saw those two big shifts and big trends as as being you know real motivators for how we wanted to think about reimagining the design language um and then if you sort of look at what went before you know 
really what went before was was something that that from a Microsoft perspective was where it was very sort of born out of that small small screen mobile era. It was very flat, very two dimensional. We we talked about digitally authentic and stuff, and and we really felt that it was time to evolve that forward to something that was much more multi dimensional, much more immersive in nature. Um, you know, from from an input modality perspective, there was a big focus on touch, and so having bigger hit targets, those kind of things, as really the primary input modality. But now it's it's very clear that as we were saying, you know, with ubiquitous computing, different input modalities, we've really got to be much more multimodal in in how we expect to to handle input, as well as I think supporting not only the notion of consumption but also creation. You know, the the, the design language again that that was from this mobile era was very much how do you consume now? How do we create? How do we, how do we how do we really go target that? And so really, it's you know a, a series of trends and shifts that have really caused us to go reimagine how we how we tackle and how we approach this this design language. Yeah, so I'm I'm thinking about this thought process, right? So like you mentioned, you know, like Hololens comes out, and and you're sort of the first thing you kind of ask yourself is like, okay, like what should this stuff look like, right? <laughs> yeah. And 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 just like any other company, um, you know, I, I the partners I work with, um. They always, you know, the the big the big thing that comes up is I need something that will run on prem and something in the cloud. And guess what? We really don't want to write all our code twice. Um, yeah. So this kind of sounds like the something similar. Um, and and it's it seems like there's a lot of advantage. You know, like you you guys did it in such a way that there's a ton of advantages. But it seems like one of the first things that you that you ran into was just hey, we just need, <laughs> we, we just need like some kind of UI that people can understand. And, and it has to be the same across these things so that people don't get confused. Is, is that is that legitimate? Yeah, kind of. I mean, I think okay. when we think about Fluent, we think about Fluent as, Fluent as a design system, you know, as much as anything else. And so it's really how we go and approach solving some of the problems that come up. The other yeah. big part of Fluent is, is that, it, you know, it isn't the thing where Microsoft's going to go off, you know, for five years in a very dark room and come out with this this thing, here it is. We think that, a, you know, a more modern approach to that is really to, to establish some guiding principles, but to be much more incremental in how we go to tackle and deliver it because we want to be more agile. We want to take user feedback into to account and hence... To, to really sort of approach this in a in a series of waves, you know, will really help to get stuff into people's hands. So, so from the perspective of it being a system, you know, it it wasn't really a case of of, of having to solve all of the problems, you know, all all at once today, but to pick some like so, for, you know, one example where we were trying to kind of harmonise the language across Hololens across other devices was the notion of focus. And typically, in all of these systems, there's some kind of focus that you need. You know, what 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 are you actually trying to click on? You're trying to click on a button. And if you're doing that with touch, then it's a direct manipulation. You can touch down directly on it. But if you're using mouse, if you're using pen, and indeed, if you're using kind of a mixed reality device, you need some other notion of how do I, how do I actually tell the system what I'm clicking on? And so this was a great example where this notion of the reveal highlight uh, treatment came out. And this is where we wanted to sort of use the notion of light as a way of focusing the eye and being able to disambiguate, you know, do I mean this button or that button? And the really nice thing with using light is it works really, really well in an immersive environment because, you know, you, you may have seen those examples of sort of mm -hmm. the of gaze tracking and sort of light rays that show you where you're looking. And so if you've got like a virtual reality headset versus mixed reality you know, the, the, there are different specific ways that these devices will express that. But from a design treatment perspective, you know, you get to sort of design it once and have it be this, this, it just makes sense in all of those places. And so I think that's an example where we haven't necessarily got a system for all of this yet, but we do have some of the principles. And, and you know, so as we move forward through the waves, we'll get to that point where we do have something that makes sense across the devices. Don't wait for users to report problems. Raygun gives you complete visibility on errors, crashes, and performance problems affecting your end users. Replicate issues in seconds rather than digging through log files or having to rely on users to report errors or crashes. Raygun gives you a window into how users are really experiencing your software applications, supports all major programming languages and platforms, and integrates with your current development workflow tools too. There's a free 14-day trial, and it takes minutes to implement. So start resolving issues in your application and check it out today at raygun.com. I, I remember when kind of uh, Metro or modern design language, you know, what, whatever 
Microsoft like renamed it <laughs> to in the middle and never told us. Yeah, you know, you know, you know th- there was a lot of stuff that was very prescriptive guidance with that. Like this is how live tiles should look, and this is what padding should look like, and you know, there was a lot of very specific you know, ways to use color and, and stuff like that. And then later on, kind of like you know, the WinRT era came off with MDL two, and then there was like n- very minimal guidance, like kind of do whatever you want. It, does Microsoft have any kind of you know guidance for developers for designers and using fluent design or is that something that's still you know microsoft is feeling out that's a really really good question and i think that really comes back to the sort of notion of this being a system we wanted to build it as a system from the get-go and so i think you know the elements we see as as being necessary to have a system is really you know first of all the platform itself which is what are the apis you know what are the controls and so on what are the features that that help me get this the second piece which we think is as important is the guidelines and so there is actually a great guideline site that we came out with um, and if you go to fluent.microsoft.com that's a great redirect to, out to all the resources and and so you know put a lot of energy into the guidelines up front so to you know specific answer is yes and i think the other thing we want to do is have the guidelines be you know responsive to how developers interpret them and and so on so there's actually you know it's pretty much a place where developers can actually go comment on the guidelines and we can have a discussion with developers and designers there to really sort of understand are these making sense do we need to tweak them whilst also being able to to sort of declare them up front um as as, as really part of of this wave one of things um but i mean beyond that we also need things like tools and samples and we want to build a great community around fluent as well because that will be a big part in its in its success, we believe. So, absolutely. Okay. So you mentioned you you also mentioned that like light was one of the main kind of guiding concepts or features of Fluent Design. What are some of the other ones that are are in there? Yeah, sure. So I think we we announced five, and you know I'll now try and remember the five because I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm pop quiz, spot. pop quiz. But yeah, I mean light is one of the big ones, and that's also one of the big ones that that we're focusing on in wave one. Some of the other ones, sort of depth is a big one. Um, and, and we can sort of drill into these mm-hmm. a little bit more if, uh, you know, if, if we want to. Uh, motion is another big one. And that's, you know, probably won't be that surprising for those, for those listeners that have been following along with some of what we've been doing in the sort of Windows UI composition uh, work over the last few releases. Uh, scale uh, is, is another one. And scale really you know, has multiple meanings to it, but it's really the primary idea there is scaling from an, a- an input and an output perspective. So different screen sizes, small to large, different dimensions. You know, we talk about this notion of zero D. So, I mean, if you think about your Alexa or your Harman Kardon or whatever it may be device, you know, the, these things don't have an output at all, but they do have an input. And so, you know, we think of that as a zero D and then that's, all the way up cool. to to 3D with yeah. mixed reality. So scaling across input, scaling across output. Uh, and now I'm spacing on the last one. I may have to cheat. Starts with an M. I think it, material, I think it is. Material. How could I forget material? How could I forget material? One of my favorite ones. So yeah, material. And, and this, you know, we've... We, 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 we did a lot to really shift the industry when, if you remember, skeuomorphism, which was sort of, you know, very popular at one point and became a very extreme form of expression in UX. And, and the, re- the reaction to that was sort of this very flat, what we call di- authentically digital kind of uh, treatments. And I think that we recognize that to bring emotion back and to bring that sort of slight softening that, that we love so much. And, you know, you look at a photograph and it has that sort of depth of field effect and that's pleasing to us. And so how can we bring back some of that materiality, but without being too kind of, uh, you know, trying to be skeuomorphic about things? So uh, I think right now the first material is acrylic. So the next one is like Alcantara. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny. I was doing a talk last week in Las Vegas and uh, I was showing off a tool that we've been putting together called Material Designer. And uh, um, the, the people that have been playing around with this came up with this gold material that looked rather nice. And I felt because I was in <laughs> Vegas, I had to show gold and, and how cool it was. But yeah, Alcantara definitely uh, 
Um, I, I have some right in front of me, and I, I want that. <laughs> I was gonna say, have you have you, car? This is totally a tangent, but have you seen the new Surface laptop in person, Carl? Uh, no, not the laptop. And actually, James. So I I saw one in person. What's What's interesting the the feel since we're speaking of material, the and Alcantara the the feel of the trackpad for whatever it 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 feels better than on the Surface Book, which I found kind of uh, kind of interesting. Is that yeah. what you have right there, James? I've got the Pro, the new Pro, just down here on the desk, um, and. Oh, I, I I love it to. I'm going to sound like a shill now because I do love it to pieces. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know it's. You're, I got you're the i I'm biased. I'm very biased. Drinking the Kool Aid. I'm drinking the Kool Aid, but yeah, I mean, I I do love it, and uh, I'm finding myself using the pen more and more. Um, the, I love the battery. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's a nice device, and 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 again, you know, coming back to emotion, the notion of emotion, I do find sort of an emotional connection a little bit, which may sound may sound creepy, but but I, you know, I think. <laughs> Yeah, and a big part of that does come from the attention to detail and the materials and and sort of the you know how it feels in the hand, not necessarily just oh it looks nice or whatever. So I think we want to bring that you know we want to bring that into the design language and have emotion be something that's important. we really want users of apps to love using the apps and choose to use them and 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 therefore we want to have that built into the language. And and, and I think one thing to note, like especially with with material and and uh, acrylic in particular is you know some of the things that you guys are seem to be working on is not just making it look beautiful but being able to and run everywhere but make sure it runs efficiently everywhere too yes because as i was working with acrylic i noticed you you can't do the old school arrow effect where you have like 30 tinted windows and you make them all blur all the way down to the desktop (laughs) you can't do that as soon as you're not the number one guy anymore you're out of focus you switch that and you don't get the acrylic effect anymore and i'm assuming i'm assuming that's a performance piece too yes it is and and i mean that's an fantastic uh, point that you bring up here and 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 so yeah i mean we want to to sort of push the system and leverage the gpu and leverage the capabilities but at the same time we don't want the battery to to sort of die in you know in, in an hour because we're so busy doing these these ins- these insane effects that that the battery dies and so what we've done is is we've really and we, we sort of talk about this notion of possible easy and default and and if you take the material as an you know the, the acrylic material as an example it's a great sort of progression you know what what we did back uh, i guess it was in sort of th2 rs1 time frame the uh anniversary update and and subsequently in the creators update was we introduced new effects capabilities in the system you know some of the primitive things like blurs and shaders and um being able to build up these effects graphs uh, and then as as we move forward, we started to, you know, we shipped a library where, you know, if you wanted to get sort of a, a, a kind of canonical blur effect, there was an open source project and it used some of the ingredients of acrylic, but it was, we didn't talk about it as a, as a material. It was really just a, a series of effects. And then as we bring out Fluent, we, we sort of actually make this the default and we bake it into a bunch of, of the new controls. And as part of that sort of final process of making it default, one of the key aspects is to then to sort of introduce the necessary system policy that will guarantee things like battery life. And, and so if you go and use the raw low-level effects, you know, they will never disable and they're, they're sort of you know, they're sort of essentially what you what you use is what you get. But if you use the the controls and the styles that we have in XAML, then you do get this this policy behavior and and, and that's where those those things kick in. So it's it's a very deliberate progression and you're gonna see that as we introduce things like springs, like one of the things that we're doing in the full creators update and we'll talk about motion and more detail, but you know, we're introducing that and making that possible in the composition system and then as we roll out the waves of, of fluent we'll figure out what does it mean to have these this more of these physics uh, components and then how do we build them in by default. So I, I just want to pause for a bit and and see if I understand something correctly. So by these policies, what you're saying is, you know, if maybe I'm on a mobile device on my laptop and my battery's getting low, the the operating system might disable the effects for my application in order to save battery. Is is that the case? Yes. So we yeah, there's really that 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 is the case. So we do already have this notion of a battery saver, and so. Um, again, if you're using the, the the kind of the styles that we define, some of the acrylic mm-hmm. styles that are new, you will get that notion of the style will turn off when battery saver kicks in. And then you know the other aspect of policy is is you know we have a policy which is your if your foreground window 
no, loses focus and goes to the background, we will remove some of those more expensive acrylic treatments to save battery as well. And so the, 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 there's a secondary reason, which is this notion of if you have the too many layers of transparency, it becomes very confusing. And I think that was kind of a criticism when we were using these effects back in the sort of Windows 7 era was, you know, you get these weird, weird effects where you can't really tell what's active because all the title bars are see-through and so on. And <laughs> and so, I mean, I guess there's a policy relating to battery and there's a policy relating to what we think is best for the user in terms of getting confused uh, if, if there's too much of that. So we think of all of this as policy um, in a nutshell. Yeah, I've actually used that to my advantage before. So I I make my <laughs> command prompt semi-transparent and oh, then yes. you can actually put it over like a web page or something else and and it's noisy but you can still read the web page and like the and what's going on in the command yes. prompt. And people yes. probably think I'm insane, but uh there's sometimes when it actually makes sense and you can do yes. that and it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. So I mean this this is where, you know, we we want to try and have the policy be the default, the policy be the sort of majority case, but right. if you want to sort of drill in and get the more sort of out there things, we that's the whole notion of possible. And, and that's where having this sort of nicely led system really lends itself to that, to that, yeah. Approach, hopefully. Yeah, so so materials are awesome. And yeah, I mean, acrylic is really the one that, that you'll see a lot. And uh, I, I think, you know, another aspect that's been really important with Fluent is to make sure that, that we really get broad adoption inside of Microsoft. And so if you sort of follow along with some of the enthusiast sites, I do because I'm an enthusiast. I'm, again, ashamed <laughs> to admit this, but uh, you will see that, you know, as, as we push out updates to the various inbox apps, they're starting to get the acrylic capability and, and they're starting to really adopt the Fluent design system. And so we hope that by putting out a lot of usage of this will really sort of lead the way with developers and also lead the way with delighting you as well. Yeah. So I, I noticed <laughs> this, this might be a stupid question, but my, my calculator looks different. Like, is that using this? It is. Yeah. Okay. Calculator is actually I, I, I was like, I, I, cause I just I noticed it today and I'm like, am I losing my mind or is this <laughs> using some of the new stuff? Yeah, no, it is. It's actually in the builds and I've, I've just opened up a calculator instance on my desk. Yeah. And, and so it's, it's semi-transparent, like to the point where it's not it's just like, per, it's like the perfect amount. And uh, whenever you hover over things and kind of move around, I mean, it just has, has a really like, and it just feels good. <laughs> yeah, it does. And and it's funny because, because again, I sort of joke about this, but there's a serious point here where we, you know, part of having, you know, delightful experiences is just these little subtle touches, which, yeah, you know, will serve some level of purpose. And we do want what we do to be purposeful, but there's another element that's really just Make, trying to make it more delightful and so you know as i hover over the calculator i see this reveal highlight and i see this kind of you know materiality that that is definitely pleasing to me and i've got you know a sort of a rich sunset on my desktop right now and i can just sort of see that thing that i've selected as a user is something that's important to me i can sort of see that bleed through a little bit and yeah yeah it's just cool. cool it just it looks I, cool I, I know this is something that jason and i have talked about you know we, in our offices we've we've discovered that as we have multiple light sources it makes our offices feel more comfortable and, and to me it seems like with this fluent design system that just you know it might not be a you know the one detail itself that really makes it feel a lot more polished but it's all the little things once they add up make the whole thing feel better they do. They definitely do. And I think, you know, craftsmanship is something we we really care about. And, and it, it it's not only in how we do the design language, but it's also in how we, we you know, we want to make all of the little things as, as good as possible. And, and if there are problems with the little things also, you know, no things should be too little, really. And, and so I think that's definitely another trend I've seen you know, in the time I've been in Windows and in recent years is something that we really take a lot of a lot of pride and a lot of care goes into that. So yeah, I mean that's that's absolutely a deliberate mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. So why why is this called fluent? This might be a stupid question. <laughs> <laughs> oh lordy. That's that's a good one. Um <laughs> Is it some is it some inside secret that you're not allowed to tell us? Well <laughs> yeah, I I I, th I think <laughs> to, to answer that, I would actually go and open up fluent.microsoft.com because, um, you know, our, our wonderful design VP, Albert Shum, has, has written a, a great sort of treatise on, on why Fluent, and I'm going to do an appallingly oh, bad okay. job at oh, okay. I trying you. to tell you. Yeah. Um, what it, you know, why we came up with that, but you know, we were looking for an, a name, and I think we wanted to come up with a name that that we decided on upfront this time because clearly <laughs> it, it really helps to have that as a, be a deliberate thing. And um, you know, that there were there was all sorts of choice and and debate, and you know, ultimately, I I didn't have a lot of insight into what finally <laughs> kind of forced that. But I gotcha. It's uh, it's a name. 
Yeah, I mean, it says an eloquent design system from a co- for a complex world. You know, it's time for a bold scalable universe. Yeah, so I was know, actually wondering if it, if it had something to do with the code because the only place that I know the fluent name from is kind of like this chaining of commands, and you know, I wasn't sure if it if it had anything to do with that or not. So no, I think it was really you know a blend of something that that's that that sounded appropriate, that sounded future, that that yeah. you know, there's all sorts of issues around trademarking and other things which yep. I have no visibility into at all. So I think it's <laughs> no, it's I a complex it's a, it's a complex sort of pivot amongst many inputs. But I yeah, I mean I like it a lot and uh yeah. I really like being able to talk about something that has an identifiable name and you know that that also is, is something that people are kind of uh, seem to be receiving in a positive way. It's nice as well. So as a as a developer is Am I going to have to learn new APIs, new SDKs, or does this kind of build on maybe some of the existing composition um, APIs that I'm used to dealing with? Yeah, that's a really, really good question. And so, you know, the answer is no, there's nothing net new to learn. However, you know, we are introducing new controls. And so one of the things that, that we want to really help developers with is is just standardizing things that should be standardized. And so one of the primary things that is important in an app is its sort of structure, its information architecture, it's how do you navigate around the place. And so we've taken the opportunity this release to release a new navigation view control. And that is, so it's a net new control that you have to learn. However, it's only about you know, 10-ish lines of XAML to, to bring one of these things into your app. And if you do that, a lot you, you essentially get a lot of stuff for free. So you get things like the acrylic material, you get things like the, you know, the reveal highlight effect, you get things like an, an, an adaptive responsive control that can d- adapt to the, the form factor of the device um, and, and has all of the adaptive state triggers necessary. And it and it brings a level of standardization that users will be familiar. And, and in fact, it's what a lot of our first-party apps are using that that want this this navigation pattern. And so, you know, we what we say is if, if developers use the built-in controls, then they'll definitely get the best experience. And because they're the built-in controls, hopefully they're they're familiar and it's not a new concept. Um, some of the styling that, that we talked about is is done through styles and and so now you don't have to drop down to the composition layer if you want to apply acrylic material so what you do instead is to take a brush called you know and there's a series of them you know called acrylic system brush with different weights different styles you throw that into any any region of your app you know that accepts a brush and that could be on a rectangle on a grid any anywhere where a, a brush plugs in and you will get that acrylic material and so we've really tried to bring up um, the ease of use here and, and really make it work as, as as you as a XAML developer would expect and be completely familiar. Now, if you want to go off the reservation and, and play and customize, then absolutely you can drop down and, and do that in composition as well. So we built the composition stack um, in TH2 and beyond, you know, specifically to allow this this evolution. And, and so it is it's sort of a continuum, if you like, to use another, another uh, word. And then I'm assuming that... It- in addition to the new controls that you've given us, you've updated the existing ones, like uh, we have. you'll highlight on a button, for example. Correct. So there's a set of, uh, and I think we talked about this at Build in terms of the specific controls that get the specific features, but things like if you've got toolbars, things like if you've got list views, you'll get you'll get the reveal highlight. And, and it's also theme adaptive. So, you know, if your app is a dark themed app or a light themed app, if you offer the user the ability to switch over between those two themes, you will get the reveal highlight and you'll get the right version that matches the theme. So, yeah, okay. I mean, absolutely. And, and you know, we're only just getting started with this. You know, we, we really want to go a lot further than uh, in the future. Yeah, say so, it with me. More dark themes. More dark themes. <laughs> <laughs> more darkness. <laughs> yeah, Bring I want to be the dark. in the darkness. Actually, the only issue I have with it, like I use the dark theme on everything. The issue I have with it is um, if I'm if I'm in the sun, uh, yeah, you can't read anything. I have yeah. to sit there and switch all the, the themes over so that I can actually see my screen, which yes. is uh, which is pretty terrible. So, you know, if I'm a developer and, and not a designer, like, am I, are these things, am I going to, is this just more ammo to like shoot myself in the foot or... Or, you know, is this going to be better for me? I mean, are my apps just going to sort of look a little bit better and, and, and you know, I can just kind of call it a day at that from that standpoint? It's, it's always a tricky one, being a developer and thinking about design and UI, because, you know, if you're a one-man shop, 
it, it, it may not be a skill you have. And so what do you right. even do about designing apps? And, and this is why we want you to try and, you know, we want the pit of success to be the thing you fall into. And hopefully you don't shoot yourself in the foot, you know, by, by just doing the default sets of things. Um, it's definitely a case where if you get overzealous with how you apply it, you know, just like, you know, the canonical example of this is the blink tag. Um, <laughs> there are many other, you know, there are many well, I would other say animations in general, right? It's animations like, in general. Yeah, I'm going to have, I, I remember I was using Ubuntu years ago and like I set it up the, um, uh, whenever I close a window, like it would go up in flames, you know, and this is like flames, <laughs> like flame all the things. Yeah. Um, and it looks so freaking cool. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that, that wasn't actually cool. <laughs> it can, it, you, you can get overload. And I mean, you know, yeah. one example that, I, that I'll give a specific example around is drop shadows. And mm-hmm. drop shadows is something that we've enabled in the possible level. We haven't yet delivered the system for it. We, you know, we will definitely, we've talked about how we want to do more with Z-Depth in wave two of Fluent. And we definitely do have plans to systematize it. But today, you know, it's very easy to sort of take drop shadows and go nuts with them to the extent that, you know, you shoot yourself in the foot both now and in the future when we bring the system there and suddenly there's like two different types of drop shadows appearing. Yeah. So I think, you know, there's it, it, is a, it is a bit of a fine line. And I think, you know, with anything that is sort of design and aesthetic, it sort of depends where you're coming from as to, you know, how, how much of a problem that'll be. Um, but I think when done right, you know, to, to, to sort of take drop shadows and spin them positively, if you look at what they've done with them in the OneNote, recent OneNote update, I don't know if you've had a chance to look at that. I'm looking uh, at the, it right now. The UW, it's the UWP OneNote. Um, oh, that one, okay. Which has actually become incredible, and I, I've actually switched personally because I love, uh, they've also got some nice physics animations and things in there. I might have to, I might have to look at that again. Yeah, you should, you should <laughs> definitely give it a little look, but you know, when you expand out your sort of the notebook tabs, not only do you get this nice animation, but they've used a really nice treatment for shadows and so you know that probably took a designer if if i were to try and jam in a bunch of shadows where we don't have a system yet in place i would i might you know easily shoot myself in the foot and and so yeah i mean i think we want to make the common case stuff as as easy as possible but but also by providing the power there is that ability to shoot yourself in the foot as well so you know, you have to be a little bit careful. Dang, this is cool. It's nice, isn't it? <laughs> this is fun. What about that physics stuff going on as you expand? Yeah, switch yeah, there's, yeah it's kind of springy, but... Springy, I, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Aspose offers a powerful set of file management APIs with which developers can create applications, which can create, open, edit, and save the majority of popular business file formats. Their product range supports a multitude of file formats, including Word documents, Excel spreadsheets, PowerPoint presentations, PDF documents, OneNote, Outlook, Project, Visio files, popular image formats, and many others. Aspose produces APIs for .NET, Java, and the cloud, which can be utilized in almost any modern language available today. Visit aspose.com for a free 30-day no-limitations trial, and if you get stuck... Message the friendly support team for help. All technical support is offered free of charge. And remember, if you are a lucky winner, you will receive a free developer small business license for Expose.net, a powerful toolkit for working with Word documents in your applications. You know, as an app developer, you know, I have some beliefs that might not be held in fact. So, you know, I want to believe that if I make my app better looking, that I'll make more money in the long run. Is, is there any kind of evidence that if I do this, either maybe not money, but, you know, more downloads or, or yeah. stuff like that? Is there is there any evidence that Microsoft has that, you know, by by making better apps in, in the design way that I will achieve other metrics? Yes. Well, it, it's something where we, we're working to put together some case studies on this because we do have both empirical and anecdotal evidence that show that when you you you, tr- you consider the user experience as a core part of your app, not just the functionality, but just, you know, how the user experience works and, and really focus on making it better, that you do, you know, th- things that go up are things like engagement. So the amount of time a user spends in your app will go up. Um, the stickiness coming back to your app, using your app in preference to another app. And, you know, imagine two apps that have a equivalent or similar functionality. If there's one that, that has a nicer, more delightful, more engaging experience, there's definitely evidence that we see. What we haven't yet done is to actually publish this formally out, but we're, we're definitely working on putting together, you know, a series of case studies around this because, 
you know, it's not it's not only true of what we do at Microsoft, it's true across the board. And, and I know, you know, both Apple and Google have talked about this in their blogs about how, you know, an equivalent app with this attention and an application of of the UI patterns of the platform will will make you more money. So it's it's definitely uh, the case, uh, and we will definitely be talking about that more as as we you know put these these case studies together. Yeah, I'll oh, go ahead, Carl. No, nope, you go. Okay, my my new notebook is sinking here. Um, <laughs> no, so it, does this you know it's thinking about the the perspective of the user and the developer? Like, I guess my my first question is, does this make the user more productive? Like, you know, I I actually kind of liked it when we switched to this flat design because it was it was very utilitarian. It's just like everything will be flat. You will be efficient and like we don't yeah. we don't we don't need to get all fancy. You know, we were talking like the, this new one. Like it 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 feels good. So like, you know, I like it. Uh, but at the, and, and actually, it, 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 you know, when I'm looking at it here, it doesn't look like I'm really sacrificing anything because the stuff is bouncing around kind of in a, in a logical way. Yes. Um, but are, are we, are we gaining anything as far as productivity for the user? Well, I think that, you know, the, the flat, the flat design system that we had before, again, you know, one of the challenges with it was that it, because it was sort of primarily designed for consumption, it didn't really work that well in, more productivity focused apps and so you know we saw this internally when apps like office and and others were trying to apply it you know if you've got very dense commanding surfaces and lots of nested toolbars and all these other things that that previous design language started to fall apart a little bit and and that's why it was very challenging to update parts of the system with it Um, and so i think some of the aspects of fluent are deliberately designed to address some of those productivity things like you know how do you disambiguate if you've got a toolbar with a lot of density and you may have multiple toolbars you know you can draw lots of lines all over the ui which is sort of the old way and by but by using the lighting and the hover effect not only is that sort of consistent across devices but it also helps as you're actually trying to do the task at hand figure out where am i what am i clicking on and so we definitely want fluent to not only be something that is a sort of you know aesthetically pleasing uh, environment but we want these things to be rooted in in direct user benefit and you know so, some materials and acrylic we were you know want to use that to try and build up a hierarchy so you can separate the app out and, and clearly partition the information architecture and things and you know with depth again separating out what you know what aspects are relevant now like if you're doing some sort of modal experience depth helps to separate that contextually away from the rest of the app so it's definitely an intent to have this be stuff that that matters and, and helps users not just as is sort of pretty eye candy so, and you may be skeptical I, I, so <laughs> no i so i it's funny because are, are you using are you trying the new one carl Yes. I, okay. In fact, I, I switched over to it. I closed Yay! it. Yay! I did too. Same here. So, it's funny. No, because no, it's funny because I see that there's uh, there's three people on the current page, you know, for the show notes and it's Carl, Carl and Jason. So uh, I think Carl just hasn't updated that he Carl's closed the, the other one, but he did the same thing I did. So we're both in the new one. So if it fails, I, I blame you. Well, I, that, so there's a guy on Twitter called Master Dewey, who is the product manager for, for OneNote. And he basically says... If there is a single reason why you can't use this modern one, he wants to know about it because oh. they they really want people to switch to it. They believe that okay. it's the future and you know so on and so forth. So yeah, I, it I used mean, to I, be way behind. Like it's come a long way. So I guess anybody who's way, yeah. anybody who's listening, like I was a little, I was skeptical, uh, but I opened it up and uh, yeah, even I think the layout is actually better as far as like the the toolbar. Yeah, um, it just seems like a more efficient use of space, but it looks like it's still good for touch. Um, yes. so yeah, I mean, I'll and just it's got amazing inking support using direct ink, which is our new ink mm. stack that the old, the old one that didn't use. So, I mean, there is definitely for me, a bit of a poster child that's cutting, you know, it's really proving that, that, that we have a viable platform and you can build amazing experiences. And it's just great to see a team that's willing to really push and advance yeah. the app. You know, I'm sold. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. So I, I know we weren't going to talk about this, but can he also be put in charge of the Skype app now? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. Moving on. Well, uh, <laughs> well, you know what's funny about what you just said is the Skype app I'm using on my desktop is is the is the universal one. I'm not using the desktop one, and I've again I've actually switched to that one, and I I, I love it. You know, it's finally got. Is the, that the is that the new one then? That's not the new one. So I don't believe so, that the. So there's a the, so there's a desktop, a UWP, and then there's a new one. No, well, no. So that sorry, there, there, there's two different things here. One is there's this sort of refresh that's happened. 
to the to the iOS and Android Skype apps, and I think that's what Carl's referring to. Maybe mm-hmm. am I wrong? Oh, really? Uh, okay. Yes. I honestly haven't opened in a while. I'll have to yeah, do that. Yeah. Please don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not touching that one because. <laughs> Um, but I think that the, the team is listening to the feedback is, is what I'll say there. Um, oh yeah. Look at that. It's like a squiggly line. It's got a squiggly line and all this stuff. So that hasn't, that hasn't happened in the, in the one I'm using. And I, I don't, I can't speak to, I don't know what the plans. What? Are. I have to choose a theme. Swipe yeah, me up. So, so while Jason's playing with that, you know, is there anything <laughs> you could tell us about what's going to be coming up in the fall creators update and maybe even beyond, uh, with fluent yeah, design sure. and what we're going to see as developers? Sure. Yeah, so I mean, I think you know the the wave one features that that are kind of lighting up in in the UI platform in XAML itself are specifically reveal highlight the acrylic material connected animations conscious controls and perspective parallax and so each of those things that I just mentioned is a specific thing that's it's either control or a style or something that you get to in XAML that you know has a distinct set of value and and a distinct set of purposes. Uh, there's a set of new things coming in the composition layer as well. There's, there's, as I mentioned, you know, we've sort of got physics-based animations. Um, we're tweaking and adding more effects, and you know, doing some some work in the animation system, you know, ac- across the board there. So, you know, they'll <clears throat> we'll obviously be talking about that and blogging about it more. Um, there's some great new interop stuff that we're doing, where some of the composition effects actually can be done from XAML directly so we have a new uh, xaml effect brush where you can basically build a custom effect brush using you know essentially something rooted in xaml not having to to drop down to the composition layer nice um we have another thing called a uh, i think it's called a pointer position property set and this is actually how reveal highlight works is we have this ability to bind the cursor position to uh an effect in some way so that that effect can follow the cursor um, so you know we'll, we'll we'll we've talked about this a build. We'll talk about it more as as it rolls out. The, the SDKs are starting to kind of roll out now for for people to play with it. Um, so that's some of the stuff we're shipping in the full creators update. Um, beyond that, uh, there's uh, I think the things we talked about at build was 360 media playback that's coming um, mm. built in to the system. Uh, more conscious controls. So so conscious controls is this no, this notion of like if you think of a scroll viewer, if you're if you're using um, a mouse, then it's really nice to have a scroll bar that you can pick up and grab, and that's what users are familiar with. That's what we've been shipping since you know probably 1995 or before then. But as you start to have these new input modalities like touch and ink and pen and others, you don't actually need that great big sliver of of your UI to to sort of have this dirty great scroll bar there. So why not have the UI actually understand what input you're using and and respond to it? And so with conscious scrolling, we have the conscious that that thing. With conscious headers, it's this notion of in my app, I have a sort of a header region. It may be some hero content, like you go and look at a, an album and it's the album art or whatever. But as you scroll through the tracks, now I'm looking at the tracks. I don't that header is less important now, and so conscious headers allows that to kind of collapse away automatically and 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 allow the user to focus on on the actual content itself. That's another example where this stuff can help usability because. You know, it's it isn't again just you can have the pretty header, but when the user is is act, sort of interacting with the content, you want to see the content. So get the header out of the way for me. Um, I'm I'm sort of rabbiting through this list now. I don't know. <laughs> tell me if I'm going too quickly. Um, no, no, it's good. Speech is another thing that you know we really want to make a first class citizen even more than it is today, and so have speech light up in new places. Uh, also have ink light up in, in, in new places and things like, you know, direct editing of ink in, in text boxes and things like that. Hmm. Um, and then another big one, which I kind of mentioned earlier, is the sort of Z-depth scaling and sort of thinking yeah. about how do we actually stack things in, in Z and, and how does that work when it's in augmented reality versus when it's kind of on the desktop and things like that. Um, we'll be working on more materials. It probably won't be gold. <laughs> probably won't be Alcantara, sadly, but uh, I'll, I'll probably be building my own version of that because I want it. Um, <laughs> uh, but there'll be more work with materials and, and making materials more dynamic than they are now as well is, is another area. So, you know, we've got a big pipeline of stuff and we're doing, you know, innovations at all levels in the platform that will roll out over time that, that will really kind of carry this forward. And we want to have wave after wave after wave of goodness come in the platform and light up in 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 the first party apps and then in the sdks as well so yeah there's lots coming 
So for build in all of your demos for to show off what originally was in Fluent Design, um, I notice it's up on GitHub now. You had built something called Buildcast. So GitHub slash Microsoft or slash Microsoft slash Buildcast. Yes. And uh, um, and we we must thank you because you have us right there in a screenshot on that page. So <laughs> we like uh, thank, yes. Uh, can, can I assume that as uh, Fluent Design evolves and you add more, that this will be updated to show all of those new concepts as well? Yes, absolutely. And and this is something that, you know, we, we felt that to really deliver this meaningfully for developers, um, it, it's great to have first-party apps adopt the characteristics and aspects of Fluent. And you can go and as a developer, see that and say, "How I want to do that in my app now. But we also felt that it would be great to have a sample that was sort of more of an end-to-end sample. You know, we, we, we've shipped a whole bunch of different kind of point samples and control galleries and sample galleries. And those are really important parts of, of Fluent. Uh, for sure. However, we also wanted a place where you can sort of see in a semi-real app, I'll call it semi-real, like it has actual, you know, sort of functionality, you know, you can use it for watching for watching some of the build content as well as your, your awesome show. <laughs> um, so it has purpose and it isn't just, you know, a lot, like a little you know, widget or whatever. Um, but it but it is trying to use the elements of Fluent. And so we it, it, we use it as a way of testing, you know, are these things working well together? You know, if you have mm. staggering animations on a list view and you add a connected animation, does that work? And, you know, we, we put that in, we found bugs, we fixed the bugs. So it helps us, but it also, I think, helps developers to, to hopefully see these things weave together. And so, yep, it's, it's something we definitely plan on updating as we go forward. We, you know, we, we're really looking forward to releasing that first snap of the code really, really soon. I'm hoping that it may go out as soon as uh, next week, which is obviously on <laughs> podcast. Like, when is next week? <laughs> um, <laughs> well, it's always just next week. <laughs> yeah, so it's actually not bad. <laughs> if you're if you're listening and it's not next week, then you're listening too soon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's not James' fault. Exactly. Yeah. No, uh, sort of, okay, should we move on? July. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's move on. Let's move on. Okay. Um. Azure Pick of the Week, I haven't had one in a while, but I have one this week, which is the nested virtualization in Azure. So this is basically, uh, yo dog, I heard you like VMs. Uh, so I put <laughs> VMs in your VM. <laughs> so um, if you if you go to this post, we'll have it in the show notes, uh, but you can go there and uh, um, check it out. And uh, there's a video in there too, where he actually shows, he installs uh, Hyper-V within an Azure virtual machine and then create some virtual machines in there. Um, it's kind of a weird use case. I don't know if anybody actually wants to do that. Um, I do know that like one scenario, you know, historically speaking that, that has been a challenge was, you know, whenever you do things like, um, um, you know, spin up a hyper V image to do development with, uh, with like a windows phone image or something like that. Like you, you couldn't do that in a development environment in Azure because you didn't have that nested virtualization. Um, so there's a lot of scenarios that this ends up unlocking, uh, which is, which is great. And then Carl, what do you have for the dev tip of the week? Uh, go to sharplab.io, and this is a way for you to put uh, some code in and kind of see what it compiles to and see if it you, you can figure out like if there's a bug or like a compiled bug or error in your mm-hmm. code or just maybe inefficiencies. Um, so I'm also going to include a link that just kind of shows uh, like uh, – a little bit more explanation, I guess. So you put your code on the left and then on the right, you can see it decompiled either in C sharp VB IL uh, assembly or the syntax tree. So you can see it in all those different views. And since it's using Roslyn, it can do that pretty quickly, even in a website. So I have this little link that shows, you know, just uh, a method that returns a dynamic object. And you can see how much code it takes to just, you know, create and assign uh, values to a dynamic object. Wow. Yeah, I was just going to, I was going to do, uh, no, I was going to do an async thing. I wanted to see what that looked like in IL because <laughs> I know that there's a bunch of magic coming on there. Uh, but yeah, this is pretty cool. Um, cause it's, it's so easy to see like what's going on behind the scenes there. And you so can just put in the snippets fun. of code that, uh, you know, it takes to recreate your, your, you know, your logic for this. And you could just really see, is it this little piece right here that I'm doing? Yeah. What so, is, so there's a syntax. It all looks the same. Wow, and it even has IntelliSense. That's amazing. Yes, and it has IntelliSense. That's awesome. Oh, so, did they did they use the uh, uh, what the heck is that thing? A Monaco editor, I wonder. Uh, maybe, yeah, maybe that's. What I bet that. Well, it's actually the pretty code easy for this to is on that. GitHub. 
Yeah, it's probably it's it's pretty easy uh, to you know Im- embed the uh, Monaco editor and, and get all that IntelliSense. Uh, it's a pretty yeah. pretty cool editor. That's nice. Oh, you can it'll even convert to Visual Basic. Yeah, let's not do have. that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, you can go the other way. Actually, you can go. Oh, dang it! You can go hey, F sharp to C sharp. I want to go the other way. I want to just say I'm a I'm an F sharp developer. <laughs> oh, <I know. laughs> I'll just write it all in C sharp and then ship it in F sharp. Check it in that way. I'm liking it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, okay, James, let's get to the game. Pick a number between one and four inclusive. Uh, I'm going to pick four today. Okay, let's see what we got here. Not that one. Okay, here we go. Would you rather always smell like you do after a weekend camping trip or always wear an orange traffic cone on your head and bike reflectors all over your clothes? Oh, gosh. Well, orange is my favorite color, so I might have to do that because that's actually... Yeah, I can see that. Is, how long is always? <laughs> uh, so here's the thing. I've seen some crazy stuff at the Microsoft campus. If I saw somebody with an orange traffic cone on their head and bike reflectors, all I, I don't think there'd be like an audience. I think I don't think that would be that shocking to people. <laughs> no, I know. Well, the other advantage is when I'm riding my boosted board, I'm less likely to get hit by a car. Oh, so. that's a good point. That's a good point. This is and probably smelling sweet. So. Yeah, yeah. People will be like, you know, you smell great for a guy with a cone on his head. <laughs> Riding a boosted ball. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so yeah. that's your final answer? That's my final answer. I'm going with okay. That sounds color. good. Carl, I'll pick take a number. number three. Number three? Why would you pick three? Three is in high demand. <laughs> uh, okay, here we go. I found a three that we haven't had. Would you rather be caught picking your nose on the big screen at a huge stadium or in front of all your friends in your classroom? <laughs> this is a game for kids you know you you know you change that to like in in an open office scenario i'd still pick on the big screen because yeah it's embarrassing but nobody knows you yeah and then you could you could be turned into a meme yeah carl the meme did you pick a winner (laughs) (laughs) oh sounds good okay so james where can people find you uh, well, on the Twitters, I am at ClarkZone, C-L-A-R-K-E, Zone, um, is my okay. Twitter handle. That's kind of where I really hang out. I think if you if you go there, you can get to my GitHub place where I occasionally put sample code and stuff. That is where I hang. Okay, very cool. I just want to make sure I'm following you. I am. And then obviously, fluent.microsoft.com, uh, you mentioned earlier. Yeah. which is a nice, simple address. Perfect. And then, Carl, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. You can find me at ytechie.com or on Twitter at twitter.com slash ytechie. So James, thank you for coming on the show and talking about fluent design. And also thank you for buying a boosted board because I'm looking forward to riding with you. Well, thanks very much for having me. It's always a pleasure. I love you guys. Listen to your show and love it. It's, it's great to be able to come on. And yeah, when are we going to race? That's what I want to know.